Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the founder of Moxie Pest Control, Austin Clark. Austin has been in the game since the moment he left high school, founding his company and building up his experiences in pest control. With a physical branch in Arizona in 2011, they expanded their outreach even further, consistently growing their scope year after year. Today, the Moxie Parent Group facilitates the operation of physical branches across America and is quickly becoming a household name for extermination services. While the last few years and the potential of scaling has certainly brought challenges, Austin's business has continued to flourish well into the pandemic and is definitely one to watch. Moxie Pest Control is growing like crazy. So Austin, my friend, let's get right to it. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, we're real happy to be here, Drew. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. So we took our, our, our stab at, at research and, and kind of getting some of your origin story and background. But in your own words, how did we get into this? Yeah, uh, great, uh, great question. And I'll, I'll correct one thing kind of right out of the gate. So I, I'm not the founder of Moxie Pest Control. I'm a partner at Moxie Pest Control. The, the, the founder is my partner, Jason Walton. Cool. And so he's the, uh, I mean, th- there's just not enough good things that I could say about Jason. He's been an incredible friend and an incredible mentor. And so all of the national success is certainly due to him. And so I want to give credit where credit's due. Now, um, there, there, there are 10 partners at Moxie. As you look at the map or go to our website, you'll see them sprinkled throughout the country. I think that there's about 25 locations today. Um, and, and I have equity or ownership in the, the Phoenix location. Now, some of the partners have come together to be able to work together with, with each other to kind of specialize in an exchange. And so today from our Phoenix location, we help run the backend operations or provide support to approximately a third of the locations that you would see across, across the map. Um, as far as my, my personal story and how I kind of got into this, the, the, the Reader's Digest version is that um, when I, I graduated, so I'm 36 years old. Um, when I graduated high school in 2003, I, 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 I'm, I'm a, a Latter day Saint or I'm a Mormon. And the expectation, at least then, was that uh, we go on missions, two year missions that are you know, contrary to perhaps popular belief, not funded by the church, they're self-funded. Mm. Um, and they, at the time they were about $10,000, $10,000. And so I don't know, Drew, about you, how much money you had in the bank when you were 18 years old. But after, after I liquidated all my stocks, bonds, all of my savings accounts, checkings accounts, investments, I, I had about six dollars and 87 cents and um that uh, that, that that wasn't going to keep me on a mission very long and so um through a friend of a friend of a friend i heard that there was an opportunity to sell pest control and i had never heard of such a thing i didn't grow up with, with, with money or means or any sort of thing like that i mean i didn't know i mean i thought that i was going to be going door to door selling cans of raid or uh, stuff that you buy at Home Depot or, or Walmart, but turns out there's people out there, lots of them, um, that pay for regular services to not have ants or if you're in Phoenix, scorpions or different sorts of things like that. And so um, I graduated high school, went out to Austin, Texas, and uh, got to be involved in Moxie early, early on and made the money that I needed to in a short period of time to pay for my mission, went on my mission for two years to Lisbon, Portugal. And then it was always in the back of my mind to come back. And while I was going to college, that perhaps selling uh, pest control could be a way that I could graduate debt free, you know, those, the, those kinds of things. And so got involved in the organization again, uh, in the direct sales program, kind of worked my way up to uh, manage some of our direct sales people nationally, and then worked into ownership into 2011. And so the Phoenix branch has been around since 2011. Moxie's been around since the early 2000s. Um, and and the, the, the company nationally has got um, 25 or so locations across, across the country. And 
adding two or three or four every single year and really thriving and really, really growing. And so that's where, that's where we are today. That, that that's wow. the short story. Man, I want to talk about that, that direct sales experience. I mean, there, there's nothing I've found to be more challenging than learning how to be really good at even something like door to door. And, you know, there was a kid that showed up to my door about two weeks ago at like seven o'clock and he was offering pest control and he was so stinking good that literally my wife came and got me from doing bath time with the kids because she was like, I don't really care about pest control, but I think we're going to buy because this kid's so good. Mm-hmm. And literally I, he did his, he did his thing. He was so natural. He was so kind. He was so good at what he did that we bought from him. And I told him, I said, Hey man, if you ever, uh, if you ever get tired of this, uh, here's my card, call me. I want you to come work for me because it's such a rare skill to be that good at connecting with people and doing direct sales. So I'm curious for you, what was that like for you as a young kid? I'm assuming it was probably door to door or picking up a phone, doing cold calling. What was that journey like at, at getting uh, better at direct sales? Um, you know, I really, I really thrived in that environment. Um, and it is, I don't know what other experiences you've had or, or, or know about, you know, the direct sales industry, but it is, it, uh, it is extremely difficult. Um, and I think that that skill and talent, which can be developed, by the way, is becoming more and more of uh, a rarity. Um, yeah. Just looking people in the eye, shaking their hand, having great nonverbal and paraverbal communication skills. Um, the, the way that the workforce or labor force, if you will, is going. It's not, it's not that way, I, I guess. And so I, I, I tell everybody, there's a few things that everyone I think should do in life. And one of them, I don't, I don't care how young you are, how old you are, what you do for work, what you don't, everyone should sell something for a four to six month period door to door. Yeah. Um, it will be one of the worst experiences of your life. One of the most difficult experiences of your life. It doesn't even matter if you go out and don't make any money, but the, the, the things that you'll be exposed to and the amount of people that you'll be able to exchange with and interact with. Yeah. I mean, you got to think about that, right? You're showing up unannounced yep. at 7 PM sometimes. Yep. Um, and, uh, uninvited. And so you've got to learn very quickly how to, um, have alarms that are going off, go down. You've got to be able to put people at ease. You've got to be able to relate with people. You've got to know how to overcome objections. You've got to know how oh, to, yeah. build, I mean, just all of those sorts of things, right? And so um, it's definitely not for everybody. There's a lot of people that go out and don't have uh, financial success. But I, I, I think the people that thrive in that environment are extremely um, confident in their abilities to uh, make and keep commitments and to be able to grow. And so it is... Uh, you know, I've got a real soft spot in my heart for uh, direct sales, door-to-door sales, uh, and especially our program at Moxie, which, um, you know, perhaps there's a little bit of bias there, but that I just obviously think is the very best in the business um, and extremely uh, good and founded in principles that will will be true forever as far as hard work goes, Um Nonverbal communication skills, sales skills, other communication skills. Uh, it, it's it, it's a tremendous opportunity um, that is disguised in a lot of hard work and that people might not consider as an opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, the ability to, to present yourself well and to be able to communicate and make quick connections is is a life skill. Like whether you stay in direct sales or not, like you're, I think you're dead on, man. Like just the ability to look an adult in the eyes and to, to hold your space and also to respect their space that you you're showing up on their doorstep, you know, (laughs) like uh, that's just so impressive. And I think could take you so far. And I'm curious in terms of like you guys training or the training you received, what, what particular skills are most important for someone to get adequate or very good at, at something like direct sales? Oh boy. Um, I think it starts with perhaps like the recruiting process and knowing, you know, what we're, you know, so our, 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 our direct sales program, it's not a, um, we're, we're not looking to, when I say like rehabilitate, I'm not talking about like serious rehabilitation, but 
we're, we're looking to take, we're not looking to work with people that aren't looking to work. We're not looking to work with anyone that's less than incredible already. We're not looking to work with anyone that's not already an A player. We want to take amazing people. We want to take A players and put them into an environment where they can compete and thrive and, and build off of all of the wonderful skills that they've already got. Mm. And so those are the people that we're looking to work with first. And, you know, they say, right, the best prediction of future performance is past performance. And so we want to see that people have done things in the past that they've been remarkable at, because if they've just been average, then they would probably be average in our program, even though it's incredible. And so we're looking to take the elite and make them even more and make them even more so. So, you know, the way you do one thing is the way that you do everything. And so if you're average in school, if you're average in your relationships, if you're average in the way that you've approached work in the past, then you're probably going to be average moving forward. If you're top of your class, if you were in athletics and you thrived, you know, and did really, really well and were a top performer, if you're in a sales role right now or some other professional type of organization where you're a top performer, well, chances are good that you could expect that coming into our program and, and, and having some, some success there. So we look a lot of, at past performance and where they've been, what they've done and how they might gel with the team and, and, and go out there and produce. Um, we're looking for people that are extremely disciplined, um, mm. very, very, very proactive, solution-minded, um, that are incredible at making and keeping commitments and um, want to improve and want to, uh, want, want to improve their skills and just at the end of the day, become, become a better human. I love that. So you find this, these eight players that have this the demonstrated track record of success. Are, have you also found that there are certain personalities that are more wired for this, this kind of work that succeed a little bit easier versus maybe other personalities that are still disciplined and whatever, but maybe aren't as extroverted or as people oriented or anything like that? If you asked me that question 10 years ago, I would say, yes, this is the mold. This is what we're looking for. This is what they look like. This is what they, um, and my mind has certainly been changed over the last decade about who does well and who, and, and who doesn't. So I've had the opportunity to be able to exchange, train, hire, recruit um, a lot of top performers, um, and they are, uh, you know, male and female. They are short and tall. They yeah. are. Uh, they, they range from lots of um, formal education to none. They have. I mean, th th there is no. Um, as far as either judging a book by its cover or, uh, I mean, we, we have had top performers in every single market that perhaps break the stereotypical mold of someone that performs well. And so it's, uh, whatever the X factor is, right. It's just what's inside. Who's got the most grit. Who's got the most tenacity. Who's able to grind it out the most. Um, I, I think that those are the, if they truly want to, then they're going to do it. They're going to find a, they're going to find a way. Yeah. So for you doing that as a, as, as a young 18 year old, can you think back and what it was like the first time having to just knock on somebody's door and, and try to sell some pest control? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, uh, it was, I mean, it was terrifying. I didn't know at 18, if I was good at say, I mean, I didn't really know if I was good at anything. The only thing that I knew is that I was a really hard worker um, and, and, and disciplined. I mean, I hadn't had a job up until that point. My, the, the job that I had was mowing lawns in the neighborhood, you know what I mean? Or odd, yeah. or odd type jobs. Um, and so it, it can be very, very nerve wracking, but if you can let that kind of roll off your back, like water off the duck's back, then you're going to be fine. I mean, I guess that's one thing that might lend itself to not doing well or performing well. I mean, if you, take rejection really personally or really hard. This isn't for you, but it can be learned. It can be learned. You just got to understand, like, look, you are showing up unannounced. 99% of this job is rejection. You're knocking on a hundred doors a day and you're looking to be able to have three to five to eight to 10 to whatever people sign up. And the best in the business are selling three to five a day. And there's others that are uh, just freaks of nature that do really, really well and sell much, much, much more than that. But it usually comes with a little bit of time, lots of training, lots of discipline. And um, so, you know, the rejection piece is, 
you need to get really comfortable being uncomfortable and being rejected. But initially for anybody, it's terrifying. You don't know what to expect and um, kind of exhilarating too. Yeah. Is it ever dangerous? I haven't thought about that before, but is it ever dangerous where you, you show up to someone's door and they are quite agitated that someone's there? Yeah. Sometimes people do get quite agitated. Um, and as far as dangerous, yeah, sure. I guess, I mean, the world is becoming more of the way that the world is becoming right. But you know, there's been rare instances where it's been perhaps a dangerous situation, but it's like, look, I mean, you, you just walk away, you apologize, you don't engage in confrontation. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I will say is that you definitely can do a lot more than most people think about how they react to you. And so we tell our people all the time, and a lot of the times our first year reps that don't have a lot of experience, they'll say, oh, I went into this neighborhood, everyone was mean, everyone was rude, everyone was whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's because they don't respect you and they don't respect you because you're not making good eye contact. They don't respect you because you look like a little baby boy. They don't respect you yeah. because you're not respectable. And so the way that you can become more respectable is by slowing down, looking them in the eye, shaking their hand and commanding respect. You can actually yeah. do that. So uh, it's super we have a lot more to do with it than, 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 than we think. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I was hitting on earlier. Just that idea of life skills that like how important some of that stuff is like how you carry yourself and, and how you, you know, almost create the, the environment based off of your, your verbal nonverbal cues and all that kind of stuff, whether you make people relaxed or whether you make them anxious because you're anxious, right? Like it, we, we really feed off of each other. And so how I open the door and see someone is going to really impact me. And that's what this kid did so well. He was so friendly. He was so confident for such a young kid, knowledgeable, understood that we were in the midst of chaos. And he, he seemed to just get all that really quickly, you yeah. know? Um, and so, man, super cool that you guys are providing that opportunity for you, how did you go from just being, in a sense, you know, bottom of the rung to where you are today? Yeah, so I think mostly probably a lot of hard work. Um, you know, my boss then, partner now, he um, had kind of put it out there earlier on about, you know, opening a, a branch or opening a location or partnering. Um, and initially, I, I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to be a, a firefighter or a policeman or do something cool. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. But the more that time went on as, and as I got closer to graduating from college, um, I kind of found that I really enjoyed what I was doing. Um, I enjoyed the problems that I was solving every day. Um, I enjoyed who I was doing it with. Um, and so the, the, the right opportunity in Phoenix came up. We kind of talked just previous to this thing going live, but you know, Phoenix is home for me. And, you know, everything that is important to me is here. And so um, earlier on, this location wasn't available, but over a couple of years, it became available. And so the timing worked out and, and, and it just worked out. But I mean, I guess I would say to anyone that's looking to work up the ladder or move up is, I mean, be, be that person, right? I mean, what does the organization need? If you're going to go start your own company, I mean, what kind of person do you need to be so that people will follow you, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, go get it done, provide value, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and be proactive. Love it. Yeah. You know, the ideal thing that we find is, is, is being able to, um, almost farm system, your own leadership, right. Where people get promoted from within, they, they know the company, the culture, uh, the investment you've put in them continues to grow, but it's often, um, remarkably unsuccessful, right. Where, at some point they start having to bring in outside people for that leadership position. And so it's, it's not rare necessarily, but it is more difficult than we would like to think seeing someone continue to progress. And so for you, I understand that every new promotion or every new opportunity creates a growth need for you, right? You have to go yeah. from being just a contributor to now I've got to be a leader. What was that kind of learning arc like for you and still maybe is in terms of how you're growing and developing as a leader? Yeah, so that was very difficult. And I think, you know, Michael Lee Gerber in his book, uh, you know, the E-Myth, the, the e kind of spells that out real well in that there's a couple of different roles in organizations, right? You're usually either a, a technician, a manager, or an entrepreneur. And sometimes you have 
you know, you're more dominant in one of those categories than the other. And so the, the other thing that, you know, you, you drew certainly know is that um, really incredible salespeople normally don't translate into incredible managers. Mm-hmm. The skill set is totally and completely different, totally and completely different. And so it was, it was difficult and challenging for me to transition from a uh, salesperson to a manager, uh, managing people, hiring, recruiting, firing, talent development. Um, and I'm still um, learning every single day. You know, one of the things that I think is really special and unique about uh, Moxie and the Moxie partnership is, so I'm in Phoenix today. Yesterday, I was in Oklahoma City, and we went there to visit one of our uh, incredible branch locations to be able to learn from their uh, field department, um, because there's some things that we think that we can improve upon, and we know that there's some of the organizations that are doing things a little bit differently, a little bit leaner, a little bit better. And then the day before that, we were in Dallas learning from uh, another incredible branch location. And so... Um, Anytime you're making a transition from uh, technician to manager, manager to entrepreneur, entrepreneur, whatever it might be, there, there's definitely a learning curve. And so I, I still feel like I'm learning every single day. Um, and I, I would think that maybe the best way to learn is just from experience, just continually getting out there and doing it, failing fast, failing often, yeah. and moving very, very quickly from one hopefully there's small failures, but to the next, because you're, you, you are progressing, you are learning things. For sure. And obviously experience is the most robust teacher, right? So just enough reps under your belt, enough awake reps, right? That we're actually learning as we're going, but I'm curious, did you have any, any supplements in a sense to, to that learning certain books that really helped you or a mentor in the company or outside the company? Was there anything like that that really helped accelerate your growth? Yeah, I think that all of those things, um, I'm, I'm a avid and voracious reader. I really, really enjoy it. Uh, naturally, like in my natural state or disc, I'm, I'm an introvert. Okay. Um, but most people wouldn't know that because in, in my role, right, and, and, and you and yours, you're, you're constantly in front of people talking, negotiating, presenting. Yep. Um, you know, real high D uh, on, on, on the disc profile kind of thing. And, um, so I, I, I've learned so many different things from so many different books. Some of my favorites, I've already mentioned one, right? I mean, Michael E. Gerber's E-Myth, it's a bestseller. It sold a bajillion copies. He's been an amazing, uh, mentor and, uh, his, his work is extremely, extremely valuable to, uh, to me. And I really appreciate it. Um, the, another one is Vern Harnish just scaling up yeah. and, um, it's one that, I recommend to people all of the time. Um, he addresses the most common uh, issues, if you will, as far as uh, people, strategy, cash, execution. It doesn't matter what your business is, consulting, selling hamburgers, pest control, vacation rentals. I mean, you are dealing with any of those four categories at any time. Um, and so yeah, that's we had, been... We, had, we were fortunate enough to have Vern on last year. Yeah, and very cool. To talk about scaling up, and he's yeah. man, he's he is brilliant. He is yep. a he's a wise man. Yep, he's incredible. Um, and then as far as mentors go, you know, I talked about my my partner and and, and the founder of Moxie, Jason Walton. You know, I I often think that that if I were to do this all on my own without uh, his help or other partners' helps or you know local business owners uh, here in, in in Phoenix or different you know types of uh, groups that you can be a part of, whether it's like Vistage or uh, you know, YO or EO or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, I I just think, wow, I, I today am much farther ahead in my career because of those people. And I often think just, you know, kind of shudder to think where I might be without their help and without their assistance. So very, very grateful for it. And, you know, I, I don't know what the average age of listener is, I guess it really doesn't matter today, but I mean, if you've got an opportunity to be able to work with someone that could just catapult and fast forward your growth, your education, your skills, I mean, I, I, I just, I just think that you jump at that because if you got 
someone willing to invest in you. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about effort. Um, that's a pretty, that's a pretty cool deal. That's a pretty special thing. Absolutely. You know, I love that kind of famous, uh, axiom, I guess that not all readers are leaders, but all great leaders are readers. Right. Yeah. And that's what I've found to be true. And that's why I typically will ask that question, like what books have shaped you the most? What does learning look like? And to, to continue on that train, how do you build in learning now? Right. I'm, you know, busy family life, business life, a lot of t- things on your, on your plate. How do you build in time or what does that look like for you to, to, to keep being a continual learner? Yeah. This is, so structure is important to me. I'm very, very structured every day. I've got my morning routine and those sorts of things. And when I'm really on it, I'm carving out anywhere from an hour to two hours for personal development each day. Um, and that can be reading. It can be watching different videos related to either the industry or leadership or management, um, connecting with different people that have been there, done that. Um, you know, I've got a handful of friends that own and run a good size, uh, either local or regional or national companies here in town, whether it's uh, HVAC or garage doors or uh, pool services. And so, you know, they're dealing with a lot of the same sorts of things. And so whether it's fleet or people or wages, or, I mean, they're, they're in a pandemic environment too. Right. Right. And so it's, um, been really important to me as far as personal development and education to uh, connect with people that have been there, done that, um, to be able to to be able to learn from them. Oh, I love that. Well, I want to talk about the that daily structure. So, could you give us an idea of what a a typical day would look like for you in terms of morning routine and just even throughout the day? Like, how how have you how have you structured your day right now for somewhat optimization? Yeah, in a perfect day, and I'd, I'd be lying to say that it always goes this way, but sure. in, a, in a perfect day, it, I usually wake up at 4.30, hit the gym for an hour, five to six, shower up, get back, you know, get to the office, and I'm usually down here for kind of the morning routine, and our, our, our service people sit in on meetings. Um, I've got anywhere from three to five huddles every day with um, key people or key groups as it relates to business development, operations, um, financials, those, those, those sorts of things. Um, and then some one-off meetings, but, you know, I, I believe that, you know, uh, 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 if you're a president or the CEO of a company, I mean, your primary purpose is to be able to communicate your vision to your people and then to be able to grow the company. And so most of my day revolves around communicating the, the vision of what we're looking to be able to accomplish here at, at Moxie and in Phoenix specifically, and then to be able to find different ways to grow our top line and to also uh, maximize our, our, our bottom line. Yeah. So yeah, let's, let's look at that day. And, and I'm curious, what would you say based on, like you said, your position and what matters most, what are some of the highest leverage activities you make sure uh, are a part of a given day or week? You know, I, I, I regularly go through an exercise that I was just introduced to um, Perry Marshall. He, he, he's a pretty interesting um, guy. If you're listening, check out his work. He's got a book that's pretty neat that it, it's entitled um, Detox, Declutter, Dominate. It's a short book. It's one of the shortest books you'll read. And one of the things as it relates, uh, Drew, to kind of what you're asking right now is tasks. And he says, look, identify the $10 tasks that you're doing, the $100 tasks that you're doing, the $1,000 and then the, then, then the $10,000 tasks. Yeah. And so I find myself constantly pushing off $10 tasks and $100 tasks and look to either not do them all together or to be able to delegate to people that can, whether they're leads or managers or, or, or whatever else. And so, um, you know, right now I'm spending a lot of my uh, professional time when our direct sales people are here with them, making sure they've got what they need, providing training. Um, I run our uh, business development huddle and our business development meetings. Um, I run our inside sales training when I'm available to do that and, and, and look at those things really, really carefully. Um, and I'm also involved in, our, uh, in, in overseeing a lot of our retention. Um, you know, how does it go? It costs however much more money, three, five, 10 times more money to get a new customer than it does just to keep the customers that you've already got. And so what are we doing to be able to keep the customers that we've already got? 
Um, and customer you, customer retention or employee retention or both. Both. I was really I, I was talking about customer retention, but yeah, the cost of employee retention can be costly too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can be costly too. So yeah, those so- are those those are some of the things that. Uh, are, are really important for me right now to be able to, uh, to be able to focus on. Oh, I love that. Yeah. We've, we've got a similar framework that we borrowed from somebody that helped us as well. Just you get, you you fall into traps where you don't even realize that you are spending too much time or energy on something that's not really as high value or high leverage as something else that we really should be putting our time and energy on. Right. And so it's so helpful to have something to help you, kind of map out. Is this a me thing? Is this a delegate thing? Is this a cut altogether thing? I mean, that's a stage of the business we're in right now is some things we're just cutting. It's not even the delegating. It's like, hey, this actually just needs to go. It's not part of our vision or it's not really getting the return on our investment. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I listened to a talk that Henry Cloud gave. Uh, he's the, the Dr. Henry Cloud. He wrote the book Boundaries. Um, and he talked about, he has another book called Necessary Endings. And he said in his work with executives, often the biggest blind spot was something that they had some kind of emotional attachment to or uh, an assumption they were making that wasn't really based on data that was around longer and it needed to be pruned. That like resources needed to be taken from that and given to other things in the business that really could grow even bigger. And he said it was really hard for them to see and then even emotionally to cut the thing because maybe it was the first product that, that they invested in and it got them here but that product was kind of obsolete now, right? Or a revenue stream that was no longer working for them. Uh, and so I'm curious if you if you feel the same way around sometimes not even just delegating, but sometimes just cutting all together things that just need to go. Yeah, you, you know, we've gotten just recently, I've I felt the last year maybe or, or nine months, um, and this has nothing to do with the pandemic at all, but, you know, we, we've gotten locally to uh, a revenue size and a uh, an employee size or in terms of count that you know a lot of the systems that we had put in place two years ago or three or four or five years ago that they're, that they're breaking um, because you, you know you can't run a five million dollar company the same way that you ran a million dollar company you can't run a ten million dollar company this you can't run a fifty million and, and so we're constantly finding that as we're growing, that we're outgrowing some of our policies, some of our procedures, some of our people sometimes yeah. too, um, some of our segments or offerings and some of our customers. And so, you know, in terms of, uh, of, of cutting, I, I like that you use the word pruning. I mean, I, I think that I'm no arborist or gardener or anything like that, but, you know, the idea of pruning is, is, is what it's to make that plant or that tree more healthy and it's painful and you get rid of some branches that aren't so great or some limbs that aren't so great. Sometimes you get rid of some branches that are doing okay, but you know, that making that cut will make the core more healthy and it's the right thing to do. Um, Those are difficult things to explain to customers. Those are difficult things to explain to employees. Those are, those are, those are difficult conversations stations to have because they're because they're complicated but I, I i appreciate drew that you bring up you know that 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 uh idea and, and especially the, the the word and idea of pruning yeah like i said it's 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 where we are as a business that we were having our quarterly planning meeting and i'd come across this book uh called the the pumpkin plan and uh, have you ever heard of that book i haven't no I, ha- I hadn't either i think i saw it on social media or something i was like oh interesting so i checked it out because uh, this person that I respect was raving about it. And it, the whole idea was basically around pruning, but this guy had been growing a business and it was, he was working all the time and it wasn't really as profitable as he thought it was going to be and, and yada, yada. And he came across a news story at his local news about this farmer who was winning all these kind of world fair contests for the largest pumpkins in the world. And so they were just interviewing the guy, like, how'd you do it? And he basically started talking about his own version of pruning that years ago, he decided to take a gamble and to get rid of all the small and the medium-sized pumpkins, and he put all the land and the, and the resources on the big ones that had potential, and now they were the largest in the world. And so he had this, aha, maybe I'm supposed to do the same thing with my business. You know, what are the customers that really aren't great? You know, we're not great for them. They're not great for us. They're more headache than they're worth. You know, all those kinds of things that sometimes 
isn't just bad. Sometimes, like you said, it's it's mediocre. Uh, but he, but what we realize too is there's an anxiety with that, right? Like either it's a difficult conversation or you're giving up something in the present for something in the future. So it's almost like you subtract before you multiply, right? Yeah. And but you're you're betting on that idea of pruning, which is if I cut these branches, if we go back to like you know vineyards, if I'm cutting these branches, it's so that the resources aren't being diverted to them. They're able to continue up and go into the the healthiest branches. And that's the idea. So it's not just getting rid of something. It's it's reinvesting whatever capacity or resources you just got back from that cut into the best things possible, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's kind of scary. At least that's how I feel. I'm like, man, it feels kind of scary and actually living that out. Have you felt that way? Yeah, um, it, it really is. You know, if you look at like growth firms and their, you know, trajectory as far as like revenue goes or whatever, it's, it's not a linear line Mm-mm. ever, you know, it's some of this and then it levels out. Sometimes it goes down and then it goes back up. And so I think that's because organizations that are growing like crazy, they have to have those seasons or times of pruning or cutting back and, 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 you know, getting their time back, gaining their focus back and really focusing on the activities that will move the organization forward the, the fastest with the people that will move the organization the fastest with the uh, offerings that will move, you know, and the policies and, 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 and standard operating procedures. There's a, I can't remember where I just read this, but it was recently, but they, you know, they kind of described or had a illustration of a boat, you know, your business is this boat. And sometimes these boat, they get the boats, they, they get these barnacles and the barnacles slow the boat down. And so you've got to stop it every once in a while and get those things off so that you can keep, you can keep moving and make, and make different adjustments. And so, uh, yeah, cool, cool ideas, cool conversations. For sure. For sure. And so just help me orient where you guys are at, uh, in, in terms of company size, what, what are we looking at in the Phoenix location people wise? Yeah. So we've got about a hundred, just over a hundred plus, uh, employees here in Phoenix. Um, the, I would say that the average, we, we, we have, um, temporary support during the summer, which is our busy season or busier time. Sure. Um, and so, you know, usually we'll contract for three months or four months or so. Um, and so, yeah, we're about that hundred employee mark or hundred employee mark plus right now, What's and then the, several hundred throughout the United States. What's the biggest challenge of having a hundred employees now versus maybe a few years ago when you had 50 or 40 or something like that? Yeah, for, for me, it's, uh, personal connections. Um, it, it's kind of one of my fears of, of growing I want to grow. I'm really excited about that. We're doing that, but you know, when, when we started the company and there was 20 people here, you, you knew what everyone, you knew what they were doing that weekend. You knew what was going on with their kids. You knew how you just knew everything. Yeah. And as you get to 50 and 75 and a hundred and a hundred plus, it's just, um, not, like it used to be, you know, you, you're unable to quite be that involved. And so I think that you have a lot of trust and empower your uh, managers and your leads and those that have stewardship over specific departments to be able to make those personal emotional connections, hopefully in a similar or better way than you were doing it when, you know, when there was, when there was just a handful of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's like we missed the good old days thinking back, even though I'm 36 as well. So it wasn't like I grew up watching this, but I know the show cheers and the idea of when everybody knows your name. Right. Yeah. And that's some of the charming parts of the earlier bit part of the business is like, I know everybody, you know, and I know what's going on in their family and their kids, but the growth necessitates that like it gets to a point where you can't, you can't, you know, be intimately involved with everybody. There's just not enough time. Uh, so I'm curious at what you guys have found has helped keep the culture intact, you know, keeping it healthy and, and even uh, keeping intentional to the culture that you're wanting to build and even efficiency and effectiveness with that, that many people. Yeah. Um, I think that we've dabbled with different things. You know, another thing that's added another <clears throat> layer of complexity, Drew, is the, is the pandemic. And so pre-pandemic, we had been studying and looking at different models for remote working for a while. 
And when the pandemic happened, we had about a third of our employees working remotely already. Some of them worked from Hawaii, some of them worked from California, some of them worked uh, here in Arizona, but in a different city an hour or two hours away. And, and so we, we kind of looked like heroes when the pandemic happened because we were looking to make those changes at about that time. I mean, I think it kind of sped up our timeline, but we were ready to go. We knew what that looked like. And so we pushed about 90% of our office staff off, uh, off site. Um, and, you know, some of the things that we do, I mean, we do, these are structured monthly scorecards. And so those are more like performance evaluations based on the job that they were hired to do. Those aren't all business. You know, there's a couple of minutes of water cooler type talk. And we, we wanted to be that way. We want our managers making those connections. Um, we, we, you know, you mentioned your guys' quarterly uh, meeting. Yep. Um, we, we do quarterly meetings or quarterly events as well. Um, our next one's in October. In fact, if you're in the area, you should come. I think that you'd like them. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an opportunity four times a year to be able to have everyone together to have a 90 minute meeting to get them aligned behind the number one thing that we're focusing on for the next quarter and then to be able to report on the progress from the previous quarter. Um, and then we also do quarterly celebrations. So depending on how well we do with the critical number for that previous quarter, we, this last one that we just did a couple of weeks ago, it was a pool party. Um, and depending on how well we did, it depended on how good the food was that was there. Right. Yeah. Um, we're focusing on sales and new service subscriptions in Q3 of this year, and we're doing a game night and whether we're running out of facility that does all of that stuff or running a few trucks that come for several hours to be able to park at our location so people can game or play or whatever else. And so, you know, those are some of the things that we do. Um, I do the very best that I can on people's, uh, we call them moxiversaries, whether they, they're one year or two year or five year or whatever it is and their birthdays to either write personalized cards or do short videos and, you know, kind of shout outs and those kinds of things. And so those are, those are a couple of things that we, we do, you know, I think something that might be unique, this is a performance kind of thing as well is just, uh, we do daily training. So every single employee, no matter what department, what role, how long, how short you've been here, you're in 30 minutes of daily training. And so that's a neat opportunity to be able to connect if you're a trainer with your, with your employees too. What does that, what does that look like? 30 minutes of training on what? Yeah. So it depends on the role. I mean, if you're in inside sales, then it'll be inside sales focused. If you're in account care retention, then it'll be retention focused. If you're on the phones or making outbound phone, you know, phone calls, then it'll be customer service related, um, trickled in with cultural type trainings and more technical type trainings that they might need to use a different piece of the software. Or if you're in the field, they need to be familiar with the labels and the products that we use and mix rates. And so it depends on who you are in the company and what, uh, what, what department you're in kind of dictates some of the, the training that you would receive. Wow. When did you guys introduce that in the, in the life cycle of the company? Cause that sounds like a, likely a full-time job for one or several people just putting together the trainings every day and that kind of thing. It's a full-time job, uh, day one. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Uh, what insight that's, I mean, that's, that, or some foresight there. Uh, where did that idea come from? Um, I think that we just don't know what we would be able to do without that. And so I think that if you ask anyone that's either been on this podcast or will be on this podcast of yours or any frontline or midline employee, um, you know, Hey, what does training look like in your organization? I, I think you'd get a variety of different answers. Would we ask that of people that are new here? I've never talked to anybody ever that they've ever worked anywhere that has held daily training ever. Same. I've heard um, that before. And it's because it's a massive invest. Well, I think that people, most people view it as an expense. We view it as an investment. And so I think that that's one of not secrets or keys, but it's been important to us to be able to facilitate information very, very quickly and level people up very, very quickly. Yeah, man. Love that. You're definitely speaking my language. When you look at the leadership component, right? Like you've had, I'm sure you've had to deploy new layers of leadership, you know, whether it be mid-level managers, apartment leads, things like that at a hundred people. How do you, what does training look like for them? What does it look like to, to ensure that they're, that they're up to uh, standard or even just that they feel capable to, to carry the company culture or to lead the team effectively? 
Yeah. So out of our hundred plus or so employees right now, I would say probably 18 or, you know, 22 are leads. Um, and then we've got about four to six managers. And so once folks make it to, you know, you're a lead when you've been here for a couple of years, you've been the best performer usually in your department for uh, a given period of time. Um, and then we start to get into, we, we rotate every off season, you know, October or so through March between uh, leadership training and management training. Um, and, and, and I'll put those on usually along with my uh, COO. And so they're able to participate every other year in one of those types of programs that, that I do or my, my COO does. That's awesome. Uh, now, what is a lead? Like, how do you guys distinguish the 18 to 20 people that are titled a lead versus your managers? Yeah. Um, so, so, for example, uh, we have, I'll, I'll speak about our, our, our office or our contact center. Um, so, Eleni, she is kind of, uh, she is my administrative office manager. Um, she has about 10 office leads under her that either that they may work in inside sales. They may work in retention or account care. They may work in customer support. They may work in new client onboarding. And so our, our, our leads are more not doing the day-to-day, -day, although they do that, especially when needed, but they're coaching people up. They're available. They're running reports. They're making sure productivity is right. Um, and, and, and making sure that the job descriptions and scorecards that we've given our frontline employees, that they're measuring up, that we're making sure that all the tasks are done every single day and that they're on pace with their peers and that they're, and that they're progressing month over month. That's awesome. So they're, they're somewhat of like a team captain. Like if there's the, the players, yeah. the coaches, there's somewhere a little bit in between, they still have some, some responsibilities in the actual activity, but they also are leading the other players. Is that kind of accurate? That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, man, super cool. You guys have, have, have really uh, put your money where your mouth is, right? And in, in terms of investing in what you care about, your people, your culture, uh, training people well, uh, it's really encouraging to hear that. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we quite literally, and this is just in Phoenix. And so, you know, multiply this by 10 or 20 times, but we, we literally invest hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in the development of our people every single year. And most organizations are just not willing to do that because they view it as expense as an expense. And yeah. uh, I guess that's one way to look at it. And, and, and you know, I, I would at least competitors in our space, I would hope that they would continue to view it as an expense. Right. That's right. But I would encourage them not to, I would, you know, I not challenge them, but it would be a good thing to do to invest in your people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, so we, we talked about this beforehand before off, offline, but so that's the work I'm in. Right. And we, we see that often that the attitude and the, the thinking that often these companies will have is that this is an expense. And my, my pushback to them is if it has been an expense so far, you haven't been doing it correctly. Right. So if like it actually is just a drain on the business, that's just money kind of dumped into a hole, then you haven't done it right. Because if you if you invest in the right people and give them the right resources, you can't help but get a larger return on that investment than the investment itself. Right. That's right. And so, that, again, that's why I've been asking you very specific questions, because it sounds like you guys are doing it well, which means it really isn't. It's not just a matter of language. It really isn't an expense. It is likely giving you you know, uh, even on the, on the bottom line, you know, you look at like the service profit chain, something like that. What, like, um, why am I drawing a blank on that airline? Uh, uh not American. Um, do you know, I'm talking about the book, the service profit chain with, um, Southwest. Yeah. I think Southwest was one of the, was one of the examples that basically if you looked at Southwest's profitability, it kicks everybody else's ass. Like, Big time. So even though they're not American Airlines, they're not Delta, whatever, profitability wise, what the take home is, they are crushing their competitors. And everybody it. assumed it had to do with their customer, um, you know, their customer care and how they how they service you. But they spend almost zero dollars in training people and customer care. They spend all their dollars in developing their people and knowing that if I develop our people, they will take care of our customers. Right. And so they do all sorts of training for them and just like their 
their approach, their mindset, their attitude on the plane, giving them freedom to be creative and funny and things like that. And as a result, people love flying at Southwest, right? They have these, they, there's TikToks and videos of what the flight attendant did during takeoff that was so funny and engaging and that kind of thing. And so that idea of the service profit chain is if you invest in the people, it actually does, as the chain goes on, you actually do get more profitability, long-term customer retention and things like that. And it was kind of revolutionary for people to see that, oh, they're all connected, right? There's like an actual bottom dollar. Not that that's the only goal for investing in people, but it's not, you don't have to pick, you know, you don't have to pick one or the other. It's like, no, if I invest properly in my people, it actually does help the business, right? That's right. I love it. Well, man, this has been super fascinating. I'm going to check out that Perry Marshall book as well. I've not heard of that, but I'm excited to, to check it out. Uh, let's get into our lightning round questions and I'll let you get back to your busy day. We're going to start with question number one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Um, I, you know, I think that it would be that, that our culture is king or queen here at, at Moxie. So our, our purpose of improving the quality of people's lives, we take that really, really seriously. Um, and then as well as our, our values of either doing the right thing, being nice, being the solution, continuing and keeping in, uh, improving, the, those things matter and they important, they're important and not just here inside of work, but outside of work too. And so we're, we're very concerned, not, not in a, uh, you know, anxious sort of way, but we are concerned about people's well-being inside and outside of work. We want them to have the tools available to them to be able to thrive. Um, and it's that our culture is just top of mind all of the time. It's a great place to be. It's a lot of fun. Love that. All right. Question number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? Um, I think the best advice, because you're not in business very long, if you're not really doing this, is that, uh, you know, profit is, uh, revenue is vanity and profit is sanity. And so what that means is it doesn't really matter if you have a, company that's doing $10 million in revenue. If your expenses are 12, right. you're, 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 you're in, you're in the red uh, by a lot. And so, um, you know, revenue is certainly important. You need to be able to, I mean, sales revenue is important. You've got to continue to get that. Um, but what, what makes the company go around is, is, is profit. I think it was Milton Freeman that said, you know, uh, famous economist that, you know, the purpose of a business is to maximize shareholders value period in the story. That's it. And what, what he means by that is to be profitable. I personally believe that a, a business's duty is to be as profitable as it possibly can because responsible businesses then take those profits and reinvest them back in their people, in their customers, in their software, in their technology, in their, in, in their whatever else. And so, um, and you, you want your customers to want you to be profitable too. Yeah. Um, because if not, then they're not getting the service that they signed up for or deserve or, 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 or could be receiving. Love that. How about the worst? Anything come to mind? You know, I don't know if I've ever had like bad advice, but you know, I think it's just people's perspective and their information. Some of the things that I've heard that I'm just like, well, okay. You know, things like, well, it's just always been done that way. Right. Mm. Or, well, I mean, you know, that's just the way that the industry is. I, I would, I would challenge people to not buy into that at all and be like a little child and just so inquisitive and just questioning and just say, why just, just ask why, you know, I mean, well, well we do it this way. Well, why drew? Well, we've just always done it that way. Well, why have you always done it that way? Well, I mean, I don't know. It was just, and so what that'll do is it's not designed to like put people on the spot, but it makes them intelligently defend their point, which yeah. is good or say, I don't know, let's do something different. Or maybe we look at something a little, little bit of a different way. And so I just think that constantly asking why often will kind of get you, get you to the bottom of things faster. Yeah, I love that. You know, there's that famous example. I think it came from Toyota when they revolutionized their their, their um, manufacturing line. They, I think it was like the, the the rule of six whys or something like that. That any process they had, anything they did, they would or a problem they experienced, they would ask why six times because usually around the fifth or sixth layer, you got to the actual issue. You know, oh, we're we're behind in our monthly revenue goals. Why? Well, because we're not selling enough cars. Why? 
Well, because we're delayed in getting the car out. Why? Because in it, you start to get down to the actual, yeah. like, oh, that's the thing. And then you can make real, real adjustments when you get to the bottom of things, right? Um, yeah. So cool. All right. Question number three. What is or what causes you the most worry or stress leading your organization currently? Um, you know, I think we touched on this earlier. For me, it's personal connections with employees. We're not a small organization anymore. Um, when we were, it was a little easier to have either my influence be felt or to be able to communicate, you know, by either ideas or by vision. Um, and, and so now it's just not that way. And so, you know, we discussed earlier a couple of ways that we're looking to be able to do that. Um, there's certainly a lot of other ideas out there. Um, you know, other things that are cause for concern are, are just things that are outside of my control, right? We can't control what happens to us, but we can't control our response. So, you know, the pandemic, um, I didn't plan that or plan for that really. Hopefully you didn't um, plan it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be in a lot of trouble. Hopefully, hopefully the government's not listening. Yeah. I didn't, I promise go, you know, you guys have all my data anyway. You, you know, I didn't have anything to do with that. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean the, the economy, right. Um, legislation, yeah. I think that that's, uh, maybe in any space that's, that, 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 that's worrisome, right. I mean, more regulation all of the time, a lot of it, I agree with some of it, just like, absolutely not. And so, you know, I think that it's any president or CEO or business owner's duty to kind of be in the know about how some of those things could affect their industry and their employees and their revenue and their, you know, their, 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 their path moving forward. Yep. Totally makes sense. I mean, that is, that's the key to life too, right? It's balancing, balancing this, the, the distinction between what we can control and what we can't control, you know, yeah. the, ser the serenity prayer, right? <clears throat> I'm going to butcher it, but God get, you know, grant me the serenity to release the things I can't control, the courage to show up to the things I can control and the wisdom to know the difference between the two. It's yeah. like, I'm not an, I'm not an alcoholic, uh, you know, recovering alcoholic, but I use that prayer all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, help me see the difference between what I can control, and what I can't give me the courage to show up to what I can and give me also the courage to release what I can't control. Right. Um, so super cool. All right. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? Um, it, it is that we are the brand leader because we support 300 um, promoter families. And so th that's a lot of like loaded words in there. Um, but yeah, we're really interested in being able to support 300 families that are thriving. Um, you can't thrive making $10, $12, $15, you know, that, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, and we want them to be promoters. And so, you know, the promoter piece comes from the NPS net promoter score. Um, we want them to be, uh, you know, we kind of, as far as the cultural stuff goes, we call it bleeding blue. That's one of our, it's our primary color. And so we want them not just drinking the Kool-Aid, but involved in making the Kool-Aid and, uh, you know, helping us to be able to grow. And we want the organization to continue to be an industry leader as it is then to become so even even more so by supporting 300 families that are thriving and that are promoters of of, uh, of the moxie brand makes sense all right question number five this is going to be a fun creative question if you could hop into a delorean you get to go back to your past and you can only tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by when are you going back and what are you telling that younger version of yourself Oh, good question. I like the way that you asked it rather than it was, you know, written when it was sent over. Um, I mean, for me, I kind of thought, well, the beginning of my entrepreneurial career, uh, which I guess is when I started mowing lawns or doing odd jobs or things, but at least as it relates to Moxie, I'd probably go back to uh, just 10 years or so ago uh, when I got into uh, the partnership and ownership and just say, hey, learn how to run a business based off of the numbers sooner. Learn how to read financials sooner. Um, most, it, it's shocking, but, and I, and I feel I've definitely got a competency in that now, but most business owners don't. Um, and that's not good. Um, you can get yourself into a lot of financial uh, ruin, trouble, whatever you might call it, by not constantly uh, looking at those things and making adjustments and making tweaks. Um, you deserve it. Your organization deserves it. Your people deserve it. Your customers deserve it. Um, and it's a, it's a very smart way to uh, run, a, run your business. It's an educated way to run your business. Yeah. 
I love that. Well, man, Austin, thank you so much for making time to be with us here today. This has been uh, really fascinating and eye-opening and, and neat to hear how you guys have built and scaled this company to, to the degree uh, that it is. And I'm excited to see the future uh, and keep having future conversations with you. So, man, thank you for coming on here and sharing your story with us. No, of course. Thank, thank you, Drew, for having me. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.